But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. Episode 310. We are in the the early stages of the hardcourt swing, even though there are clay tournaments being played at the moment. One of your favorite topics. Why are we playing clay? No, One of Nikira's favorite topics. I don't care. Our last episode was the day after Wimbledon finished and we were uh, in two different cities, two different countries in fact. And now we're, we're reunited. Yeah, please. So this is a, a catch-up episode. There's some tennis. Let's be honest. A tennis player caught a drugs case and you're back at the mic. <laughs> a doping case, I should be more specific. Well, it's not a doping case. Well, it's related to anti-doping, but it doesn't really have to do with drugs right, of any kind. It's a doping ban. Is that where you want to start? Yeah. All right. Mikhail Emer of Sweden was handed an 18-month suspension for missing three out-of-competition drug tests in the space of a year. This was actually after his first suspension was overturned by an independent tribunal. The ITF appealed the decision, and the Court of Arbitration for Sport gave him the 18-month suspension. First of all, they can do that? That is wild to me. Like... To what end? Right. It was ruled on by the independent tribunal that the tennis governing bodies have agreed upon. This is how we handle doping cases. They ruled. The ITF did not like the ruling. And they said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to appeal it. And they took it to a higher court, the CAS, and got partially what they wanted. This is, for Americans, this is odd because... As you know, if you watch Law & Order or any of those court shows, the state cannot appeal a verdict. If uh, if someone is found not guilty, it's done. Only a defendant can appeal. I know in a lot of different countries in Europe, that's different. The state can appeal a verdict they don't like. And this is similar here. Emer says that the reason why the initial decision was in his favor was because he proved that him missing that third test was out of his control. Emer doesn't dispute the first two missed tests. For this suspension to be triggered, they give you three three chances, right? Third strike, you're out. Doesn't dispute the first two. The third one happened in fall 2021, where he was supposed to be checked into this one tournament hotel. That's where his agent had signed him up on the thing to say, this is where you can find me to do the drugs test. And when he got to the tournament they automatically put him in another hotel. They switched him to a a secondary hotel. And lo and behold, the very next morning is when they come come a-knocking at the originally scheduled hotel looking for Emer and he's not there. So the argument in the first hearing was that the tester didn't make the adequate effort to locate him. Even though he wasn't at that hotel, they have a responsibility to try to contact the player, try to get to them... He said he missed a call, and then the tester waited until like the last five minutes of the eligible hour to contact him again. And in the first tribunal, they argued, 
while that same tester made extraordinary efforts to locate another player, so why not me? And this is Emer's own account. This is a one-sided story that we're getting. But if we are to believe that this is indeed what happened, the whole thing just, it veers more toward farce than credulity. Right. We recently talked about Jensen Brooksby. He has accepted a ban for the same offense, for missing three tests uh, on a whereabouts charge. Tennis players have to basically give a location where they'll be every day of the year for a one-hour time slot. And as you know, tennis players travel a lot. They stay at tournaments longer. They lose early. They go elsewhere. So they're constantly updating their whereabouts. He said in this case, his third offense... His agent did not update his whereabouts, but it wasn't his fault. I do kind of wonder about the first two. He doesn't. He said the first two were, that was my bad. That was on me. Obviously, the whereabouts is extremely important for out-of-competition testing. Testing should be a surprise. Uh, it should be unexpected. It's about the integrity of the actual process. But I think you see in a lot of these cases, the uh, powers that be are not exactly flexible. And here, what was shocking to me was not the ruling, but the fact that he had already been given <laughs> a pass, and then the ITF said, uh-uh, not so fast. And what's frustrating to him is that he had just reached a career high of number 50. He's 56 currently in the live rankings. And he says, it's going to take me another two years to even remotely have a chance to get back to where I am now. Right. Um, and yeah, that sucks. Like you said, the first two misses, okay, what what happened there? Mm-hmm. The third one, though, where it becomes a little bit sketchy, and I question the, the imbalance of power between the player and the testing and the whole system, is this dude was acquitted. So why, why is this being retried again? Where is the transparency in that regard? Mm-hmm. Like, why did you retry it? What was so egregious about this? What was missed? What is it that we don't know that necessitated doing this? Right. Like, were you trying to set an example of a really tough policy here? Were you unhappy with the evidence presented the first time? Is there something about Mikhail's case that we don't know? So people are upset. And as usual, there's probably a ton about this case that we don't know. But the whereabouts thing is, it's really tough. Like, it feels super harsh. And it's its harsh on purpose. It's designed that way. Alizé Cornet, who we talked about on the most recent episode, she was very close to a similar ban for the whereabouts issues, missing three tests. She was out of the game for about six months a few years ago. And she was able to argue her case. But she has spoken out saying that the ITF is harassing players. I wonder what the player approaches to this whole system. If it's my understanding, it's that it's a 12 month rolling basis, right? And then it resets. So do you just go for a certain period of the year and be like, well, I've I've given them my whereabouts to a T for three months. I'm just going to be a, a little bit willy-nilly about it for the next two months. I'm going to go on a two-week vacation. Don't care. None of your business. And if they come twice, then I have two strikes. Then I have to, like, really get my act together for the rest of the year. <laughs> I would... That would surprise me. Def- especially players who are big enough to have their own agents. That would really surprise me. I think the agent, that's just their job. 
But if, I mean, people make mistakes. There are miscommunications, whatever. You don't get a confirmation email from a hotel. You mark, mark the wrong place. That's why there are three strikes total. Or you can be where you think is the right location. It's really next door, like Carrie and Aiden. <laughs> exactly. It's a big, wide world. This isn't just one city that testers are coming to. It's all over the world. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. I don't really know what recourse he has at this point. Uh, I don't think there's any right now. It's been a while since we've had any... I don't want to say updates because the ATP very clearly closed their case on Zverev with respect to their alleged, supposed investigation into the allegations made against him by Ole Sharapova, right? That thing yes. was interminable. It went on forever, could not get updates, months upon months upon months upon months. They finally said, you know, we are inconclusive in what we are able to find. We are not leveling any sanctions. Of course, that was taken by Zverev to mean I am innocent. I've been proven innocent. I've been vindicated. Here we are now with new allegations being leveled at him by the mother of his child in a Berlin court. Yes, his ex-partner, Brenda Patea, filed criminal charges against him for bodily harm. Uh, Ben Rothenberg was able to confirm that these charges have been known to the ATP since October 2021. So these charges have been proceeding through the court system for a long time, for a very long time. This is not a case where a woman has popped up years later, which also is fine, Mm -hmm. but she reported quite a long time ago. This is almost two years that these charges have been known by many people, just not publicly. Mm -hmm. During the Olya Sharipova uh, allegations, when that story was published, Brenda made some, uh, not even cryptic, some some social media posts commenting on Zverev's character as a person, saying that he has no contact with the child that he had with Brenda. And so this was just sort of sitting out there for a long time. When... The ATP closed the investigation into Sharipova's allegations. They said there's no sig- there's no sufficient evidence for us to do anything. But they added this, quote, This determination may, however, be re-evaluated should new evidence come to light. Zverev says, quote, I completely reject the allegations. My lawyers will take care of the matter. And so far, he's been right. His lawyers have uh, been doing yeoman's work on his behalf. But not only his lawyers, PR, uh, the tennis organizations, and more specifically, sports media, broadcast media, his friends, his colleagues, have all been doing work on his behalf to make this go away as quickly as possible. Some of his besties on the WTA tour. Yeah, yep, we'll get to that. Where we are right now is that The reason this just came out is that the public prosecutor's office in Berlin has applied for a penalty order against Zverev. What this is, is the prosecutor sees that there is sufficient suspicion that a crime has taken place, and a penalty order is is this process by which the defendant can choose to pay a large fine and avoid a, a public trial. What's been unclear to me is whether or not 
by paying this fine, you're uh, like pleading guilty to something. If you're acknowledging guilt, I do not know that. In this case, the fine is close to 500,000 euro. This is at least what the prosecutor's office is asking the court for. We're super, super early in this process now. If the penalty order is granted, from what I understand, Zverev would have the option to take that, or he could go to trial. And he has reiterated many times that there is no evidence, there is no basis for any of these allegations. If that is true, he should welcome a trial. Andrei Rublev, after beating Zverev in Bastar, said, quote, To play your best friend is always tough. Win or lose, it's a shit feeling. And you have here noted, do you ever wonder what men talk about? I know I do. This was one of those like record scratch moments for a lot of people because Andre is a darling of tennis Twitter. And I know that we've talked many times about uh, feeling a certain affection toward him as tempered as we've been, right? Because I, f- I always felt like you could never trust any of these guys <laughs> to feel genuine affection toward them. We don't know them. And they're also human beings with flaws. This was something he said days after these new charges came out. He clearly would have heard about what was happening. So for him to say, this is my best friend, it sucked. It just really sucked. Uh, It was disappointing for a lot of people. I wouldn't say it was disappointing for me because I didn't have expectations. Daniel Medvedev, on the other hand, is somebody who has grown up in that little group. You know, they grew up through juniors together, but Medvedev's wife is close friends with Olya Sharapova, so his perspective is very different. And he's made comments recently this year about, like, basically stop talking about my wife. Stop trying to ingratiate yourself with my family. We were never close. Right. Now, would he have done that had his wife not been friends with Olya? I have no idea. But for Andre to make this grand gesture of not just friendship, best friendship at this moment is just like, really, dude? I mean, we've seen it with Francis too, right? Big hugs, big smiles with Zverev. It's almost as if everything outside the court doesn't really exist to them when they're on the court. As if they think they get a free pass. Like, well, I'm on the tennis court. Now, this is what, this is how we behave. Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're bros on the tennis court. We just played a match. He won. I lost. Oh, shucks. Let me hug him. Oh, it's all, it's all. Right, but it's so much more than that. Like, it's so over the top between Francis and Zverev, Ruby and Zverev. Like, do they not? see how he treats people behind the scenes? I don't know. Draw your own conclusions. Not everyone has obviously seen how Zverev acts in press and to people who work for the tournament. He's an asshole. I mean, (laughs) that's just, that's my opinion, of course. The comments just relayed on the body serve do not necessarily reflect (laughs) those of Jonathan Newman, Toronto, Canada. (laughs) My question remains, what do men talk about when they're alone together. Do you think there's ever a conversation about, hey, Sasha, so how are things going in your life? Any big news lately? Any well, challenges you, you're dealing you with? Don't, you don't want me to try and hazard a guess. No. Because no. what I would imagine that to be is not fit for air. Right. I just, I do really genuinely wonder what male friends talk about when one of them has been accused of heinous crimes against women. Hmm. 
Maybe it's, I'm innocent, I would never do that, and that's the end of conversation. So again, we are awaiting news as to how this will be handled. What will be the follow-up by the ATP? Mm-hmm. They still are without a domestic violence policy. All these years later, after having to deal with this guy, and now again, foreseen that this was going to happen again, right? They knew. Mm-hmm. That these charges were out there almost two years and still no policy. They were conducting a search last year for a director of safeguarding. The WTA has since hired a director of safeguarding, which we've we've talked about. The ATB said they're they're working on it behind the scenes. Uh, in fairness, there is an incredible level of complexity because of the international nature of the tour. And it would probably take years to get a policy written. But it ha- now it has been three years, and this wasn't exactly the first case ever in history of men's tennis. So I don't accept the excuse, but I do acknowledge how complicated it is to put one of these things together. But it's, it's beyond time. Zhang Shui, this feels like very old news at this point. Yeah, I think this was the either the day after Wimbledon, the Monday or the Tuesday, it was a while ago. I know it probably feels like beating a dead horse at this point, but let's talk about it. This happened at the tournament in Budapest, a match between Zhang Shuai and a Hungarian player, the then world number 548, Amarisa Toth. You've all seen the video. Unfortunately, it's not a complete video, but what we've seen is that the players are arguing with the umpire over a line call. It's on clay. There's a mark. Toth is seen going up to the mark, sort of smirking and rubbing it out with her foot. That makes Zhang absolutely go off. Like, why would you do that? I cannot believe you did that. And it really, it just spirals from there. She has what is essentially a complete meltdown. The context was that the point in question happened two points ago. Zhang argued with the call. The call was incorrect, by the way. Like, it was visibly wrong. The umpire came down, said, nope, the call stands. Zhang had called the, asked for the supervisor, and the supervisor was supposedly on their way to the court. And so this is what was happening two points before the the rub out. Yeah, because it seemed like <laughs> Toth just was like, well, no, you're not going to see that, Mark. I'm getting rid of it. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Still, 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 it's weird. There was no need. No need. Like, clearly this is a very tense moment. Emotions are heightened. Mm-hmm. And you've just inflamed the situation. Why? It's not that you went yourself to go check the mark. You know, you've seen it sometimes where a player's a call has been made and they, they, they themselves want to go check it out. Like, was this right? And they go and they look and then they just rub it out. You know, right, that's one right. way. This, two points later, she just decided, you know, I'm I'm putting a stop to this. Because she went from the baseline, two points later, she was at the baseline, and she walked up to it and just rubbed it out. Yeah. Meanwhile, Zhang is like, what are you doing? Yeah, so stop, stop. She's waiting for the supervisor, who she thinks is going to check the evidence mm. in her mind, and now the evidence has been erased. We know... And you know, from watching tennis, a supervisor is almost never 
going to overrule an no. empire. The supervisor coming out would not have changed things as far as that point. It was just like the why. Mm-hmm. why I, like why it, it just felt inflammatory. What we got was a situation where somebody who was almost entirely unknown to the tennis viewing public, she found out what can happen when you're suddenly thrown into the limelight in this way, right? Like yeah. She issued an apology swiftly, I think the day after, and... Well, because her first comments were not not great. They were not smoothing anything over. Right, I'm just saying it was a, it was a harsh blowback it's, toward it her. It certainly was. Like, did the blowback yeah. meet the crime? Probably not. Uh, no. What you're referring to is that a number of WTA players talked about her on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Said, this is horrible, this is terrible sportsmanship. These are famous people, powerful people. To have all of that, that mob descend on this woman, was a lot. And, and it was th- also because Zhang is such a universally loved player, right? right? They were defending their bestie. And th- some context here is that Zhang had lost a number of singles matches in a row. Yeah. She spoke very honestly with the press about struggling with her mental health, being away from home, losing her grandparents. Her colleagues love her, and they thought they were supporting her. But the, I mean, the onslaught against Toth was like, okay, this is this is too much now. Well, I also- even I tweeted about it, and I deleted it because I did not, I didn't want to be part of that. Also, Zhang retires, and before that is even settled, like a, a nanosecond later, Toth is celebrating, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right. But, but she, mind you, this is a huge win for her. It is. She's the world number 548. It's a huge win. It's just that decorum went out the window when perhaps a more seasoned player mm-hmm. might have been able to navigate this situation better. Right. This this player you've just witnessed has had a complete emotional breakdown and said, I cannot... Can, I cannot continue the match under these conditions. She, to her credit, went over and shook Toth's hand. And, I mean, the hand, they might have still been shaking when Toth's arms mm-hmm. went up in celebration. It was just one of those examples where the Twitter mob, the Twitter fewer, just, it ran away from itself. Yes. Because... Like we always say, multiple things are true in this situation. Mm. It was really bad sportsmanship. John Wertheim believes it's a form of cheating. I don't. I, I'm not going that far. I think it's just poor sportsmanship. Right, because the umpire made a call. Right. And that call was and not these, being changed. these things happen. Like, so it was, it was bad sportsmanship. Right. She didn't behave well, but I don't think she was cheating. But the, the proportionality here is wild. And then, I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, then you have a geopolitical angle. Because this is in uh, an authoritarian country, essentially. The tournament responds almost immediately on their social media, puts this in writing, says there has been Chinese video manipulation that's convincing everybody about something that happened that didn't really happen. Uh, That was not necessary, I imagine, or I hope, they've received some harsh words from the WTA. Threatening words, even. A turn- an official tournament account 
cannot be acting like that in public. I mean, we see official tournament accounts acting wild all the time. We're in U.S. Open tennis season. That account (laughs) is going to be doing the most for the next few weeks. Very messy. But this is now, you know, leveling accusations at at an international level about, well, this is just how China is. That they were uh, allegedly doing something on behalf of their player to smear a Hungarian player. It's too much. Some nuptials in tennis, you have zero interest nuptials. in is zero interest in talking about this, but we're just gonna put it on the record. Okay. Go ahead. What I want to see you. I'm do it. so on un- Patrick Vidoga got married to Yeje Vanek. Mm-hmm. He's a former player, I think. Yes. He's that gentleman who's always around. I mean I don't I- really pay attention to players' personal lives, to be honest, aside from well no, that's not true. I was gonna say that this was uh, at least a more age-appropriate relationship for her, but like wow. it's still not necessarily without wow. <laughs> a bit of a side eye. I guess your enough... coach, your coach of multiple years, now becomes your partner, now your husband. I guess it, enough time has passed. It, I mean, between that, other in the current point. climate of safeguarding on the WTA tour, I'm not saying that something untoward oh, happened oh. here. But you go from coach to lover to husband. Right. Well, she's a big grown woman. She is. She can Unlike make those decisions some other pairings. for herself. I thought you were referring to her uh, other long-term relationship with that extremely young man. I mean, there was or, that. Or he appeared to be. No, he very, was. Oh, okay. He was very young. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, Denis Shapovalov and Miriam Bjorklund have gotten engaged. Congratulations. That was cute. There was a cute uh, proposal and everything. Wow. Cheers. Good look luck. at look at you. Mm-hmm. Something I'm very, very excited for. Nishikori K, he's back. And it took me going through his career statistics on Wikipedia and reading up on his recent career to really put into perspective the long road back that he's had. Mm-hmm. You think of Nishikori, you know that he made the 2014 US Open final. He was... Ugh, Definitely favored to win that match. He didn't. He was definitely favored? Oh, absolutely. Against Chilich? Yes. Oh, you think so? Nishikori was a talent. Like a, well, I know. He was expected to be a really big deal. Instead, we're here. He's 33 years old. He's won, I say only, but really only 12 ATP titles. He's won one title at that level in the last seven years. Mm. His last ATP title came in January 2019. And before then, he last won in 2016. He's been derailed by injuries. It looked unclear for a while if he would even come back to tennis. But here he is. Mm -hmm. And it's happened around the same time that Milos Raonic has come back. Another person I think a lot of people assumed was just retired at this point. And who have similar career achievement lists not not the same but they're like at that similar level that they were close to breaking through and winning a slam and haven't as promised he returned in puerto rico at the palmas del mar challenger and won it as promised yeah he said he said i'm returning at palmas del mar (laughs) and he did well he initially wanted to come back at the australian open this year but then a foot injury delayed him even further He's back. He was in Atlanta this week. He won two matches. Including one over Jordan Thompson. 
before eventually losing to the the finalist, perhaps the eventual champion, Taylor Fritz. Oh, right. That's still this week. That's, That's still st- going on. It's still going oh on, God. yeah. And he will be in the main draw in Washington, D.C., starting on Monday, and he'll play Lloyd Harris. The 19-year-old German Noma Noha Akungwe, native to Hamburg, Germany, or just outside, playing in uh, her hometown tournament in Hamburg, reached her first WTA final, losing to Aranska Rus. Uh, I was corrected. I thought it was Arantxa like Sancha Zaccario. Apparently, it's, it's not. She's not Spanish. I feel like Rus has been around for as long as I've been watching tennis. I remember years ago when Kim Kleisters was a top player, I think she lost to her in the first round of Roland Garros. That was the first time, and it's a memorable name. That's why I remember it. Oh, that's beyond my bandwidth. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't have that recollection. Remembering I mean, first round losses? <laughs> no, this was a big one. And also because the name was memorable because of another famous tennis player with the same name. That wasn't Rosano beating Serena? Well, at the French. obviously, I remember that very clearly. Uh, but getting back to Noma, she has been a top German prospect for a long time. She is a German of Nigerian descent. She's talked about... Is that your way of saying that she's black? Well, she is black. <laughs> uh, I'm, I can say... I'm not afraid to say black. Don't worry. Okay. She's she did an interview with the WTA recently talking about how much she looked up to Naomi Osaka, which is cool. And she you know, she's been pretty under the radar, at least under my radar, but in her very first pro level event in 2020, which was an ITF tournament, she won it. So this is a pretty quick fulfillment of a lot of potential here. In this tournament, she beat Pigossi, Storm Sanders, saving match points. The big one, Martina Trevisan, not Trevisan, the recent Roland Garros semifinalist. Not my favorite, anyway. <laughs> and Diana Schneider, losing to Roos in the final. She's she's really only played on the ITF level, except for a few WTA-level tournaments, mostly in Germany and Austria, and most of which where she got wild cards to the qualifying level. So pretty inexperienced on the WTA level. She's going to jump all the way from number 207 to 142, most likely this week. And Aranska, the winner of the tournament, is among the oldest players at 34 to have reached her first WTA final. Mm. In other news concerning young black WTA tennis players. Yes. Your Wimbledon juniors champ. Clairvie Ungunaway. Just got her first WTA level win and her first top 50 win over Anna Blinkova. This was, I think it counts, right? It's not a main draw, but it's a qualifying match win at the WTA level in Washington, D.C. That's pretty exciting. That tournament hasn't started yet. Right, qualifying has started. Correct. Last week on the WTA in Palermo, Zhang Chin Wen beat Jasmine Paolini. Finally, for her first WTA title. I've been waiting with bated <laughs> breath because Ms. Queen Wen, as she's affectionately called on Twitter, I picked her to be a breakout candidate this year. Mm-hmm. And so I've been waiting for this to happen. And she was actually the 2022 Breakthrough Player of the Year on the WTA last year. She's had a, a so-so year. I think her best result was a semifinal uh, earlier in the year. Not a horrible year, but it's it hasn't been like steady growth. 
I've so been, this is really cool. I've been see. trying to will this into existence. I remember I picked her in my record bracket to make the final of the French Open. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, and you were not the only one. In Budapest, uh, Maria Timofeva beat Katerina Bindel for the title. That same week on the WTA and ATP side, the new reimagined Hopman Cup took place in Nice, France. Croatia, which was led by Donna Vekic and Borna Cioric, besties, beat Switzerland. Not lovers? The jury is out, but I... Whose jury? I don't believe so, personally. This discourse on Twitter was wild to me. Oh my god, people were like, I didn't know they were together. And I'm like, what, where did it... But where did it say they were together? They were you playing know, like, tennis together for the same country, and if you followed tennis, you know that these two have been... At a minimum, bestie adjacent for years upon years. Yeah, like they grew up together. Yeah. The, to me, it, it's giving best friends. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was just strange to me because when I looked at it, that's not what it gave me. Right. Person. And, and maybe it is. I don't know. Carlos Alvarez played Hopman Cup just days after winning the Wimbledon title. Debuted a new, a new haircut. Wow, people were pretty mean about the haircut. And I'm... Well, I'm going to be mean now and say anything would have been an improvement. What I don't understand <laughs> is... What, what was wrong with it? It was a change and it was needed. Right. Just a little... Give it a little shape. Did I expect him to now look like a supermodel? No. It's, 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 it's going to take a while for him to evolve into the sex pot that he wants to be. Oh, okay. I'm not. I wasn't even going there. I was just talking about the hair. I'm just saying, like you're 19, doing Calvin Klein, doing all that stuff. More power to you. Like this is an avenue that he he's wanted to dip his feet into, <laughs> right? But he's still a very young dude. Yes, and clearly has a lot more growing into his looks and body to do. do and you know what I, I mean? I'm just saying that the fade was a big improvement on the previous haircut. We're choosing our words so carefully. I'm not. That's exactly what I wanted to say. We did last week on WTA. On the ATP side, we had the uh, the Newport tournament, which happens at the International Tennis Hall of Fame on grass. And Adrian Manorino is made for grass. He wins his second grass title. Two of his three career titles are on grass. He's also reached five other grass finals. And he has 69 career wins on the surface, which considering how infrequently they play on grass is quite a bit. He beat Alex Mickelson in the final. I have to be honest here in that I did not know who this fellow was. Uh, And then I saw some (laughs) clips of him playing and I was like, not another one. Not another one. (laughs) Not another six foot six tall, white, American, shaggy-haired dude with a big serve. Are you that he plays very American? It is so unimaginative. Well, the reason you didn't know him is because he literally just graduated high school. He's committed to the University of Georgia in the fall. He's a kid. Okay. He's been playing juniors. Okay. He, uh, he won the Easter Bowl which is a big USTA Juniors tournament last year. He won it in singles and doubles. Why didn't he win the Christmas Cup? (laughs) The Hanukkah? (laughs) I don't know. I don't... The Easter Bowl takes place at Indian Wells, California. Did you know know that? 
I, I know now. I did. I mean, I don't follow junior tennis, so I, I do not know these things. But I, I learned that this week. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his run was pretty wild. First of all, Maxime Cressy, you should be doing better on the surface. He has been struggling for a little he bit has. now. He has. Then he beat James Duckworth, Mackie McDonald, and the big one, figuratively and literally, John Isner. Who is still out here. He still is. For those who follow me on Twitter, I tweeted something that was along the lines of, I firmly believe that players should retire when they're ready, when they want to. They should play as long as they want to. And nobody should be telling people out here that they should retire. That said, there's one player who is clearly (laughs) teetering on the brink. And And at first I didn't know who you were referring to. And I added a gif of, you know, with a wry smile and left it there without saying who it was. And people were like, well, who is it? (laughs) It's this guy, this other guy. (laughs) You know, he can retire and go fill one of the empty slots on Fox News. Start his own... Late night yep. programming. Yep. Over in Bashad, Sweden, this is Kasper Rude's home tournament. The Clay 250s are his bread and butter. He reaches the final and loses to Andre Rublev. 7-6, 6-love. You may or may not find this interesting. Kasper has eaten three high-profile bagels recently. Sesame? Uh, whatever you like. One to Brody at Wimbledon. One to Andre here, and just this week to Achofis in, where was it, Hamburg. Mm-hmm. A pretty stinging defeat on clay. Well, if the <laughs> if the men were playing in Montreal this year, I'd say, well, that's a prime location to get a really good bagel. It is. Wonderful. But they're in they're Toronto not. this year. In Gestad, uh, Kachin beat Ramos Vignolas. And then he brought out his dog. That was so cute. Oh, my God. People were like, you know, when when some folks win tournaments, they hug their coach, they hug their significant other, and Pedro here brought out his dog and gave him a big old hug on court. Let's have more dogs. Now, this week, on the WTA side, finals are not set. In Warsaw, Iga's playing. She's in the semis, which will be played tomorrow. Uh, Laura Siegemund. They've is, had a lot of rain there. Yeah. Siegemund is in a hardcourt final. Okay, in Warsaw. You know, Zygamund just does things, you know? <laughs> That's true. It's just so hard to pin down. She shows up heavily strapped wherever she is. But she's going to fight. Taped, mummified, <laughs> and she gets the job done on occasion. Uh, Lausanne is still going on. On the men's side, the American hardcore swing has really started in earnest. Atlanta's first, then next week is D.C., Speaking of... The new DC, the joint DC event, where it's going to be a crackerjack field. It's an extremely tight WTA draw. Like, it's hard to get in. A tournament where, historically, the weather has wreaked havoc. I saw a tweet today saying that qualifying was interrupted, and fans, stay away. The site is closed to (laughs) y'all. Like, there's hail, there's hurricanes, there's flooding... Every year, extreme heat. As if the heat and humidity in Washington isn't bad enough in the summer. Now we have these catastrophic storms. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention is that uh, 
this week in DC qualifying, Ryan Harrison, remember mm, him? Mm, I didn't mm, even know he was still playing, but mm. he got his 74th career wild card. He lost in qualifying this weekend. Donald Young. Also, I didn't know if Donald Young was still playing. He received his 65th career wild card and lost in qualifying. Jack Sock is very close behind. How many um, does he I think have? he has like 63. Well. Yeah. Over in Hamburg, uh, we haven't talked about this. Zverev is in the final. We've often said, as a truism, that this man, for some reason, whenever he's accused of something horrible or he gets really bad press... Uh, or he whenever does, he does something really bad on court. He does really well. Like, he follows it up with great results on court. And yet again, the week after this news broke about criminal charges against him... Now he's in the final against Laszlo Gera. Also in the final in Umag, Stan Vavrinko. Stan Vavrinko playing Popperin in the final. Stan has looked vintage this week. Uh, Some of those backhands, you see the highlight clips, and it's like a shot from a gun. Mm -hmm. Stan is 38 years old. Mm -hmm. He's intimated that this is his final season. Potentially, yeah. Remember he did that... Was it a player tribune thing? You know, one of those oh, okay. self-written... Yeah, like a personal essay. Exactly. That's what I was looking for. Saying that he wanted to give it one final goal. Didn't put a time frame on it, but it seemed like one way or another, this was it. All right. Uh, this is his first final since 2019. Hardcore season is chugging along. Next week, as we said, DC is starting. For the women, we've got San Jose. There's Los Cabos in Mexico. Oh, is that why Borna is there? Must be. Thirst trapping it up. So now we're looking at a a whole North American hardcore swing, not just U.S. and Canada. The following week, Canada, as we know, we're going to head to qualifying at least next Saturday. Cincinnati's the following week. There's a week off during which we got tennis in the land. Cleveland. Cleveland And Winston-Salem. And then it's New York. It's like right around the corner. Sasha Bain and Karolina Pliskova have split again for the second time. And he tweets saying, you know, I hope you get that major someday. He's like, I already got him. Naomi and I, we won a lot. So, well, Naomi did for sure. <laughs> well, He's ridden some coattails, this fellow, let me tell uh, you. Well, yeah. Remember what precipitated that abrupt end to their coaching partnership i just know that carolina's results have been dire in the second go-round with sasha yes but again she's somebody who's had uh like more comebacks than share like a lot of peaks and valleys yes (laughs) she hasn't had the highs of share of course but uh there's always something around the corner with her rogers cup ticket prices i refuse to call it the national bank open it'll always be rogers cup for me I saw you tweet about the NBO on Twitter. and like, nobody knows what that is. A friend of ours reached out. They'd recently gotten into playing tennis. Not watching tennis, but playing tennis. I know a few people now who have started playing tennis, but actually don't follow tennis Mm -hmm. at all, right? And they were like, well, we're thinking of going to the tennis this year. Do you have any tips? I was like, hold on, let me go check. And I went and looked at the prices because I know every year there's promo codes 
when the women are playing in Toronto specifically, there are more promo codes than when the men are. And the prices are generally more expensive for the men than they are for the women. Yes, much more expensive. In good news for equality, that's not necessarily the case this year. Because I looked at the prices for the women in Montreal and the men in Toronto, and they're both expensive AF. I've never seen prices like this for Canada tennis. Crazy. Mm -hmm. You still have 300 level seating, which is mostly affordable. You know, you can still get a a $50 ticket up until Tuesday or Wednesday in the 300 levels. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, the stadium is not that huge. So it's not like you can't see what's going on. They're not terrible. But Monday, Tuesday in Toronto, at a minimum, they used to do sell tickets by gold, bronze, silver, platinum, Mm -hmm. right? And all those were in the 100 levels. That doesn't exist anymore. It's just... All expensive? All expensive. I mean, it gets a little bit cheaper the higher up you go in the 100 level. But this is a departure. I don't know what they're doing. Good luck to them. Yeah, they were shocking to me, the prices. We're super lucky to have a tournament so close to home. And we've been to a bunch of times. Should I go or can you help me buy tickets? My response is like, don't. (laughs) Because I don't want to spend that much. Right, but you're different for you. You were always going to Cincinnati, and then this year you're going to U.S. Open. You were doing some other tennis in lieu of right. But what's Toronto? What's super annoying is that these Ash tickets for the day session at the U.S. Open are much, much cheaper. They're they're not much, much. Like the 300 level is much cheaper in Toronto. Right. It's a matter of scale. The 100 level seating in Toronto is it's crazy. For a Monday and a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Who is spending $160 to not be super close on a Monday, Tuesday of this tournament? And to not see the top players that you want to see. That's crazy to me. Because all you're going to get is probably some Canadian ranked 100 plus in the night session. <laughs> yeah, I heard Peter Polanski's coming back. So maybe we'll see. <laughs> They're going to put some homegrown talent on the show court. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's, I will say this, though. Something the Toronto tournament does really well is the family weekend. The qualifying event before the tournament starts, which happens this weekend, August 5th and 6th. Entry is free. You go, you can watch the qualifying matches. When the men are in Toronto, they often play practice sets against each other in center court. You can go and sit there and watch them do that. I watched Stan play back in his heyday play a practice set there in the very first row with not many people around. One year, Novak was on center court. Niall Horan was in the corner on the court, <laughs> sitting on a folding chair watching. Uh-huh. I, You've well, been there to watch Serena practice. Serena practice at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday because there were rumors that she was going to be there. So that's my tip. Mm-hmm. My tip for Toronto tennis is go to the free weekend. You'll get to see some highly ranked tennis players try to get into this tournament in qualifying. And then you get to also watch a bunch of top, top players practice against each other for free. Mm -hmm. We're going to end this episode with a few thoughts on the passing of Sinead O'Connor, which may seem a little bit out of context for this show. But I don't know. It's just been a little bit weird for me the last few days. You know, somehow... 
some celebrity deaths affect you differently than others. Oftentimes, not at all. You know, I know a lot of people are like, why do I care about these celebrities? They died. Okay. What impact does that have on my life? But we are people well, who... Well, maybe it doesn't. But... We are people who consume pop culture voraciously and have mm. as burgeoning homosexuals in our teen years and now as adults and now long in the tooth. You know, we have a long history <laughs> of consuming pop culture. And I remember I must have had nothing compares to on at least three mixtapes growing up. <laughs> like that song was my jam. And... I always thought it mean-spirited that the only time you really heard her talked about was when she was being mocked or vilified for the SNL pulp yeah. ripping of Tearing the pictures. Photo. VH1, behind the scenes, well, uh, pop-up video. Her entire career was framed around that one performance. And it was always told to us that while she went and ruined her career... She threw her career mm-hmm. down the drain by doing this one thing that was so out of pocket. And come to find out as an adult, I mean, she'd been saying it the entire time, but come to find out by paying attention and opening our ears and reading stuff that she didn't care. We were told that her, she ruined her career and her career was over. And she was like, I'm not, I'm not concerned. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, what, 10 years later is when everything happened with the child sex abuse scandal with the Catholic Church. And it turned out that, of course, she was right, that people didn't want to hear what she was saying at the time. But many, many people, people in my parents' generation and older, knew exactly what was happening in the church because they lived through it. The celebrities who vilified her, who threatened her with the violence, Joe Pesci, Pesci, Frank Sinatra, these people just in the thrall of the institution of the Catholic Church uh, was really sad. And she was someone who was speaking from great experience. She was also speaking from the Irish context, a place where divorce was illegal, where abortion was illegal until very recently. She grew up in an extremely, I don't even think abuse begins to cover what she went through as a child. She had a principled interest in this topic and she knew she was right. And she spoke so intelligently, specifically, and eloquently about the issue. She didn't just go and rip the picture of the Pope on television. She then went and sat down for interviews, fielded hard questions, mm-hmm. with and priests, s- and spoke directly to what the issues were. And these clips are now going around on TikTok, on Instagram, or whatever, and people are now saying, oh, you know, she was a real one. She spoke truth to power, da 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 Right. It's like, well, it's too late now. But at what cost? The cost that you said it was was her career. She, she didn't care about that. The cost was her emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Like the onslaught of attacks, the burning, the steamrolling, the destroying of her records. Americans are so dramatic about that. How many artists have they done that with? Like... They- we keep we're talking about oh like that cancel culture is some new thing and it's something inflicted by the left. Hello, <laughs> what about Sinead? What about the Dixie Chicks? What about the disco sucks movement, which was a largely homophobic and racist movement to just destroy disco records? Like cancel culture, quote unquote, is not a new thing, but it's a lesson that 
when somebody calls out sexual abuse and the abuse of children and the immediate response is i don't i don't like i don't like your tone i don't like how you went about it that's a red flag she said i didn't care that my recording career was in effect over as like a big selling artist who cared was the executive who couldn't get to buy their house in antigua mm. you know the people who weren't <laughs> yes. making money off of my records those are the ones who really cared that I did this. Me, I was more than happy to earn my living playing live gigs, which is what she did the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a lesson to me in how, I guess a lesson again, in how we can be force-fed these false narratives about people. The way she was portrayed in media for the majority of her adult life was completely incongruent with who she actually was as a person. All right, we are at the end of episode two, 10, 310. Three, ten. Taking we'll... away a whole hundred episodes. <laughs> I don't know when the next one will be, but it'll be soon. We're on a good clip right now. You can find uh, any podcast-related stuff on x.com. Is that what it's called now? Oh, my God. I have to look at that ugly fucking logo now on my phone, that X, when I'm looking for the bird. Anyway. We're on Twitter, at the body serve Instagram. You just say Linktree.com slash TheBodyServe. Well, not everybody is going to go to Linktree. Linktree.com slash TheBodyServe. I'm James, at Elliot JMR on Elon's X. <laughs> two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan. You can find me at Tennis underscore John. I'm also now on Blue Sky and also, what's the other one? Threads. Thread. Oh, you yeah. know what's funny I don't to think me? I will be using that one. Uh, no, I don't like it. Threads is also the name of this famous British television movie about a nuclear holocaust, which is extremely disturbing if you have not seen it. But I can only associate the app Threads with that movie. So, oh, well, um, that's a bit of superfluous information that I'm you not know, sure anybody I, needed. I got a lot of fun facts. Anyway, thank you for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.